Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst, and also by my colleague Adam Stones, who's a data scientist at Company Watch. Welcome, Nick and Adam. Hi, Joe. Hey. We're recording today's episode at lunchtime on Friday, the 28th of May. Um, I wanted to start by thanking several listeners who have been kind enough to get in touch over the last week or so to let us know that you're enjoying the podcast. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to reach out. And as ever, if you've got any suggestions for topics that we should cover in future or insights into our discussions, then please do let us know. So this week, um, I think it's fair to say that the news has rather been dominated by the Dominic Cummings evidence to the Health and Science Joint Select Committee in the UK Parliament. Um, as ever, we try to steer clear of pure political stories. Um, the thing that kind of interested me from our point of view is that it's emphasis on data and modelling and um, using data to drive um, decisions. I think it struck a chord with, um, with us. I think th- the point is that actually the quality of data and the quality of the models and, and not thinking of these things as ossified things that you do once and, and that sets the tone. Um, forever obviously is really important and being able to kind of review and understand what's going on um, is really critical I think in in lots of other areas as well. Before that storm um, we did get some UK government borrowing um, figures we thought we'd have a look at the ONS um, fortnightly business confidence index as we it's been a while since we've we've looked at that we've got some European economic data that was released um, today and um, a survey from the Institute of Chartered Accountants um, that we we thought we'd we'd pick up on as well. Um, our bigger topic for this week is an update on the furlough data. Um, and Adam has been beavering away with many of our colleagues um, at Company Watch. And I, I was uh, launching, um, I thought we were launching this next week, but actually we've, we've managed to launch this week. So we thought it'd be a good time to ask Adam along to, to talk us through some of that, of that data. Nick, where should we start? Should we go for the borrowing figures? Government borrowings. Yeah. Yes. I mean, um, government borrowings in uh, April, a mere £31.7 billion, pounds, um, which uh, in any other year, apart from last year, um, would be horrific. But hey, they're down from the OBR's prediction Absolutely. only two so months ago positive. of £39 billion. So yeah. gosh, we're in And actually quite we? positive in terms of the reasons for, for that, isn't it? You know, it's not just um, that we've spent less. It's actually, it's the, the tax uh, receipts have been have been higher than forecast. Is that right? Yes, and, and, and also lower debt interest payments. I'm not quite sure how that works, and, but never mind. Um, and total borrowings in the year to March 2021 were 300 billion, which is the highest peacetime figure mm-hmm. ever. And overall public sector borrowings are now 2.17 trillion, if you can understand that. I'm not sure how many noughts that is, but too many. <laughs> uh, and that is 98.5% of GDP, which is the highest since 1962. The um, the ONS announcement um, really was a, a question of, of positives, negatives, and worries um, here. The positives are, of course, the ultra-low interest rates, and also the fact that 92% of all the government debt issued during the pandemic has been bought by the Bank of England under the mm-hmm. quantitative easing yep. um, arrangements, um, which, as I think Andy Verity on the BBC um, put it succinctly, um, it's the sort of patient creditor that um, every overborrowed um, uh, business needs. 
they're hardly going to come knocking on the Treasury's door and demanding their money back. Um, <laughs> but of course, uh, you know, as Adam was saying before we started recording, um, the fact that um, that money is borrowed by it's been borrowed by the Bank of England, sorry, it's been bought by the Bank of England, um, links the risk, the interest rate uh, risk, to their core interest uh, rate. And if inflation gets out of control, those rates are bound to rise at some later yeah. stage of, of this year or next year, which will then reverse the lower debt interest payment positivity here. The other then, option they have, Nick, is to sell that debt, um, to, to, in other words, to reduce their, their QE. And I think Andy Haldane voted to not, uh, they sort of scheduled 50 billion of QE. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andy Haldane voted not to actually proceed with that. So that's the other option is to release that debt yeah. uh, onto the market. Yeah, hi- highly unlikely, I think, from the um, from the sort of mood music coming out of the Bank of England that they will do anything that they think yeah. Andy Haldane thinks yeah, is a good idea. <laughs> He's off, isn't he? I mean, that's kind of interesting to see what happens after um, yeah. after June when, when he leaves, but yeah. Yeah, now the, the, the negatives that they highlighted I think are actually very, very important negatives. The first one they talked about was the impact of the very low business investment during the pandemic that will have on GDP um, generation and uh, tax uh, receipts and all of those uh, all of those things. <clears throat> Pardon me. The other um, flag they raised was the exodus of non-UK nationals. Mm. And we were talking last week, if if you remember, Joe, um, that uh, there is an estimate out there that 1.3 million of the workforce has left the UK since late 2019. Um, And we talked extensively last week about the sort of pressures that's causing on um, uh, the the labour labour force and labour shortages. Um, so that's basically government borrowings. That that's mm-hmm. the p- position. You know, crazy numbers, but not as crazy as people feared a little while ago. Yeah. So it's it's starting to those those indicators are starting to perhaps move in the um, in the the right direction. Um, I wonder whether actually on that point about business investments, perhaps it's worth having a quick. Um, talk about the Institute for Chartered Accountants of England Wales, the yes, survey I that mean, came out, because they had something interesting to say. On yeah, the really, really extraordinary. Side. I mean, they um, periodically um, interview around a thousand chartered accountants who are working in industry and commerce. <clears throat> this survey covered the period from uh, mid-Jan to mid-April. Confidence, um, I, I think entirely predictably at the highest level on record, driven by the success of the vaccination rollout and the falling infection rates. Mm-hmm. Um, Although caveat of the Indian variant, obviously, well, which is starting to, well, I guess this survey was done before we had quite so much um, knowledge around around that side of things. Yes, I mean, uh, I mean at that stage, in mid-April, um, we knew India were, were, was in trouble, but of course we hadn't quite clocked the fact that, that letting um, 30,000 people back into the country from India might have some repercussions mm. um, here. Um, what the survey did flag up was a number of um, background concerns amid all this um, confidence. First one is about consumer spending, that the recovery might not turn out to be um, as good as as people are hoping. Uh, Of course, uh, there's some reflection on what the situation with economic and health issues around the world will, uh, you know, what effect it will have on the UK. And uh, they flag transport issues, and we'll come back to that point. Um, at least Adam will. Um, yeah, Adam's got some interesting. A little, um, little bit later on. Tidbits um, on that, yeah. 
And there are some slight concerns about increasing regulatory requirements, but without a lot of detail on that. But the point that you flagged up um, was that they asked their respondents what their expectations were for the rate of investment spending over the next 12 months. And I have to say, I'm not sure about the basis of this of these responses, but the figures were highly disappointing to me anyway. Um, what the respondents said was that across the, the sample, they expected capital investment to rise by 2.8% only. I mean, that's so low, isn't it, Goodness. Well, from a very low base too. Yeah. And that R&D spending would go up by even less, by, by 1.9%. And I just don't know what that means, if I'm honest with you, but uh, it seems incredibly modest in the context of what we know didn't happen with business investment in 2020. Also, you know, given some of the tax um, breaks that were announced in the the budget for um, capital expenditure and so on. So, yeah, I mean, as you say, that that perhaps is... um, you know, an unusual figure that we might want to um, take with a little bit of caution. But even, but a thousand is not a, an unreasonable sample, um, and it's no. it's done quite regularly, isn't it? So maybe that's something to, yeah. to keep an eye on and, and come back to. I, I um, think it is, and because and I think you know, possibly the explanation for that is that uh, you know, however confident the government is, and however good the vaccination rollout is, the answer is that investment comes from confidence. And I know this survey is saying people are confident, but there are enough background worries about the variant, although not caught in this survey, but also about exactly what the economy and certain sectors are going to look like. Mm. And I think there is a difference, isn't there, between the consumer confidence that you might have that, you know, spending in the next month or two months and this kind of much longer term um, spending that you're where you're 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 committing um, investment over years. Um, and, and when we know that there's, you know, every week we say is inflation up, are we worried about not inflation? You know, and it changes almost on a daily basis. Um, and, and, the, the, and also, Joe, remember the cash flow cliff edge. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. It may it may be a stepped cliff edge with a with a with a final sort of precipitate drop. But the answer is there's a whole lot of government support about to start running off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've just written a blog about that. And, uh, um, you know, there are many reasons not to be complacent just because the government is is bigging up the um, the economic recovery uh, and the return to normality. Mm. You know, caution, caution um, and contingency planning. Very important right now. Absolutely. Very, very important. I mean, I, I'm just before we we um, we turn to the um, the issue of furlough. I will just quickly um, pick up on some of the European news. So France actually unexpectedly, um, it looks like France is is going into a double dip um, recession. So they had a 0.1 um, percent um, decrease in the economy between January and March, um, and analysts have been expecting a 0.4% growth. So, you know, clearly some some issues in um in France, but also some some inflation um rises um are, are kind of being being flagged in France as well. Overall the the Eurozone um confidence levels are high. Again, we have the same picture of consumer confidence um and and stock markets in Europe um this morning being up at, at record um record highs. Um, so I suppose Adam if we look at um, like one of the themes, I suppose, this week is looking at employment. 
And I think you've we've, we've obviously got the furlough issue um, to talk about, but you have looked a little bit more detail at some some employment um, vacancy figures that we'd we've talked about in the past, and I've got some kind of interesting things from that to say. That's right. I picked this up on the sort of headlines page of the Office for National Statistics. And this is some data on uh, on online job vacancies, online job adverts, actually, um, from Adzuna. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adzuna is a, a company that, that aggregates job vacancies from all sorts of different websites on the on the Internet. And then actually, you know, is able to, to recognize when, you know, two, two adverts in different places are actually for the same job. So it, yeah. I don't know exactly how they do it, but it, it's quite I know they do. They do do that. Um, and yeah, I mean. They, there's some really staggering figures. So they compare everything to a pre-pandemic baseline um, of February 2020. And if you look at certain sectors, particular in particular the transport, logistics, and warehousing uh, category, you know it's 184.4% higher than it wow. was in February 2020. So you know there's loads of vacancies in that in those in those areas and. Um, I think Nick, you mentioned last week about service in a, in in a restaurant, for instance. So, and not being able to get the staff, and it seems like that is happening in other that is happening in other in other sectors as well. Um, but I just want to sort of just want to sort of mention that while it's really good that the ONS and others are looking at these sort of more current data sets that maybe give us information. I mean, this is published every week, so mm-hmm. it gives us information much more quickly than other data sets. You do need to be a little bit careful with this one, because even though everything looks or a lot of sectors look to be very high compared to February 2020, they're not actually particularly high by historic levels. Right. So, okay. for instance, if you look at uh, manufacturing, something we'll talk about in the in the furlough section as well, that's up nearly 130 percent on February 2020 um, in terms of vacancies. But if you compare to 2018. You know the vacancies were at the same level as they are now for more or less the entire year, and this is seen in other in other sec in other sectors. So you know, notably domestic help, sixty percent up on where it was um, February twenty twenty in terms of vacancies. Mm-hmm. Not many people taking on domestic help with a with a pandemic <laughs> on the way or, or already started. But you know, compared to what we've seen historically, that's actually that's actually you know not not particularly high at all. It's actually much higher um, at certain times during 2018. So just worth, again, reiterating, as I'm sure we have on many occasions, that it really is worth digging down into the methodology and, and sort of the historical um, the historical um, context yeah, of absolutely. these data sources, of any data source that you that you come and it is quite hard to do actually from the headline figures that you typically get. Um, you know, you, you tend to be reporting the, the latest figures. So actually, having done your exercise of, of of plotting these over over a period historically really brings out some interesting um, subtlety that that perhaps isn't always um, isn't always obvious. So yeah, thank there's, you. There's often not the time for people to just no exactly a little bit. For, you know, <laughs> sort of media headline. You know five words or something and you can't really you can't really bring this context out so it's at least we can do it adam that is exactly how pr works <laughs> focus on the moment and 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 hope that nobody ever looks underneath what you're saying that's how it works <laughs>
Well, we're, we're providing the antidote to that um, that approach today, I think, very much. That's so right. um, let's let's talk a little bit then about the um, the furlough or the coronavirus job retention scheme um, data to give it its proper um, title. So the government announced um, that they will be making this data available and it was for claims um, made in December um, 2020 onwards. So we haven't got any of the um, the claims that were made um, during 2020. Really, it's just um, just from December. And they, I think, it's a monthly um, file that they make available on the Gov website. Now, that's right. Adam um, and and the team have done some quite um, heroic work in transforming this quite um, basic. Excel spreadsheets with um, some lovely peculiarities and, and um, idiosyncrasies, shall we say, into something that's a bit more usable. So Adam, I wonder whether you could just talk a little bit about, about the data, what we've done. I mean, actually, it's a technicality, but it's not even an Excel spreadsheet. That, oh, that yeah. caused a few problems. Yet. <laughs> um, I, won't go into, I won't go into that. Um, so basically, whenever you get hold of a data set like this, and you know, we're obviously quite keen to get this onto, onto the platform for our clients, you have to kind of go through a process of, of tidying it up, cleaning it, getting it into some sort of usable form that can, you know, interact with the rest of our platform, which is already, which is already well established. And um, in this case, we just sort of had a list of, initially it was just a list of, of payrolls. Um, and yeah, there was it, no it, company numbers originally. There were no company first, numbers yeah. originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, we, you know, we, we started looking at this where we had most of the, the company numbers provided by HMRC. So by the time we really looked at this in earnest, uh, and I was last on the podcast back in late March. We had uh, we had a sort of raw data file that told us um, had a list of, of names on it, and I, I use the term names, so not actually company names. I need to stress that these are, I think, from what I can gather, these are payroll names. Sometimes mm-hmm. the same organization is on there twice with two different payrolls, perhaps a weekly payroll and a monthly payroll and, and so on. Gosh, yeah. um, now, HMRC had actually ma- matched the majority of those entries to company registration numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, lots of lots of entities were not matched, um, either because they were just individuals or partnerships. They're not, they're not companies. Um, mm-hmm. Or in some cases, you know, there were companies that, that just didn't have the CRN, and that's really where where we come in. Mm-hmm. And the other CRN thing is that's on company that's registered number. I just uh, sorry, yeah, thank, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, <laughs> and and, and, uh, and yeah, the other thing that's on there is uh, just just for completeness is also a banded amount. So it sort of says how much the, the company or the, the payroll was claimed each month, yeah. um, and that's a sort of you know it's sort of between ten and twenty five thousand, for instance. So you know it's not it's not a precise figure. It's just mm-hmm. uh, it's just a sort of range. Um, so what we had to do was really take that data and look at the company registration numbers and say, you know, do they make sense? Are they are they you know consistent with what we would expect? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in other words, verifying what HMRC had already done. But also for those for those companies that didn't have uh, company registration numbers, just just you know seeing if we could find one. And actually, in many cases, we were we were able to add some additional companies. Uh, to to our data because we we were able to find some additional company registration numbers. Yeah. So that's sort of phase one, if you like, and that and we do that using our matching technology, which was actually developed by some of my colleagues, and that's quite a versatile um, 
piece of technology that can take company names and in many cases find a, a company registration number. And we've used that in other projects mm-hmm. as well. And, and going forward, you know, we might use that because often, you know, there's so much data out there in the world nowadays. I think in the last in the last two years, we've I saw a statistic once in the last two years, we've created more data as a you know as humanity than we had in for the whole of history until yeah. 2003. <laughs> yeah, it's lightning. <laughs> you know, so there's, yeah. there's so much data, but actually, unfortunately, not ev- not all pieces of data out there in the news and so on on companies come with company registration numbers. So mm. you know that it's really good that we have that technology going forward. So that's that's phase one, and then the second thing is to then transform that that data, that cleaned up data, and say, you know, what else can we what else can we combine it with? What other data do we have that can potentially unlock some value and, and really add to that data set that we got from HMRC? And that's really where the, the uses come in for our clients. Mm-hmm. And so, and what, and what have we done then in that, in that case? What have we combined um, these, these data sets to, to produce? So I think the big one and the, the probably the most useful one is we've combined the data that we have on individual companies from that from that from HMRC. Uh, we've combined that with our group structure data. And this right. is really, really powerful. And you can you can go on the platform and you can you can use this and it gives you a much better insight into, into how businesses are claiming furlough because mm-hmm. you don't lose you don't lose cases where you know, a company isn't on the list, but another company in the group has has claimed furlough. Pro- probably, you know, in many cases on behalf of, yeah. of the other companies in the group. You know, I mean, big big multi group, uh, multi, say, excuse me, big multi company groups. You know, mm-hmm. they don't have a, they don't necessarily have a payroll for every company in the group. You know, they yeah. they they might do it all through a few companies. And there's several national chains actually. That you know, the headline business, perhaps the listed, the listed company is not on that list, and you won't mm-hmm. find its company registration number or indeed its name on that list. But by combining, but by combining that data with our group structure data, you can actually see that you know, on a consolidated level, that company yeah. has claimed has claimed furlough. And there's actually a few national chains where where that really is the case. And so it's really fascinating to see how the whole group has has claimed furlough in different you know different absolutely and i think there was another um another thing that you you identified in terms of dormant um companies i wonder whether you could just say a little bit about some of the 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 dormant cases yeah there's there's a handful of um there's a hand i mean it's more than a handful but there's there's a you know a minority of companies on the list that have have claimed furlough even though we have them listed as dormant, um, and in some case, you know that that can arise for many different reasons. That's not necessarily underhand. You know, in particular, we list companies as dormant more or less based on their last set of accounts that they filed, mm-hmm. and you know, there's obviously a time lag there. We know that that time lags very long. Six to nine months has been even longer during the Absolutely. during yeah. the pandemic. Um, so it's not necessarily suggesting anything underhand, but mm-hmm. we have put a flag next to those next to those companies that have claimed furlough, even though even though they're um, dormant. And mm-hmm. there's a handful of those, some high profile ones. And you know, it's just as as with all these things, it's just worth trying to interrogate that a bit further and just trying to 
ask, you know, why that's just simply ask the question, why is that the case? And it may be that the company's resumed trading. So that in which case that flag is, a, you know, an early indicator yeah. that that company is trading again. Or it might be because, you know, HMRC haven't updated the payroll name or they or the company hasn't updated the the name of, of the company with HMRC on the on the payroll records. So, you know, but it's worth it's worth asking the question when you see these when you see these flags. Absolutely. And I think there was there was another um uh, a case again and it is it, as you say it allows people to ask questions and you know there are some companies for example on the smaller end which perhaps don't have any employees listed but are claiming um furlough and again you know there's perfectly reasonable explanation which is that um perhaps that an employee has 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 joined since the last set of accounts were filed mm-hmm. um we know that you know that's always historically been an issue with employee numbers for small companies but since october last year companies house have been rejecting um electronic filings that didn't have an employee number and that employee number can be zero for example but they've been trying to to enforce that um that disclosure paper filings are still patchy and so you can if you file a, a paper filing if the employee number is not disclosed it won't be rejected so there are some there are still some some wrinkles on on whether um employee number coverage is is as good as it as it could be I do have actually one more point to make about this this data, mm-hmm. which is that at the moment we only have data from December, January, and February. I think I'm right in saying that the March data will come out next week, and obviously yes. we're gonna we're gonna keep updating that as we as we as we go through. The scheme is not set to end until September, so we'll probably keep on updating this all the way through to to December. Um, but one thing that's particularly uh, important to note is that. Actually, if you look at if you look at what happened in January, we know we went back into lockdown. You wouldn't, mess, you know, if you had a restaurant claiming furlough back in January, you know, I, I don't think I would judge <laughs> that restaurant yeah. for that, right? I mean, you know, it can't open; it doesn't have any it doesn't have any trading opportunities. Well, what do you know? Its staff are on furlough. But I think actually going forward, this furlough data is going to become more and more useful because you know, even though it's allowed. You know, if that same restaurant was claiming furlough in in August, I think I'd be a little bit more concerned about its long term prospects. Mm. Yeah. So, just worth mentioning that as we hopefully as we continue to open up, and I hope that proceeds as it has been, then then you know this furlough data might become more useful as a sort yeah, of and, indicator. And, and Adam, it's interesting the um, <clears throat> the ONS um, coronavirus impact survey that was published this week which every two weeks they do this. And this covered the period up to mid-April to mid-May. And one of the headlines in in the report says that the proportion of the workforce on furlough fell from 20% in January to Mm -hmm. 10% in May, which is absolutely what you would expect. And it'll be interesting to see what it looks like in another same month or so. But again, that comes back to the point you've just made about, um, you know, you should expect, you know, we should be expecting to see fewer and fewer companies um, on the system uh, uh, claiming that that are still claiming furlough. Yeah. And the value of those claims going, uh, um, reducing. Um, And again, that's really one of the one of the benefits of of going through this whole data cleaning exercise is that once you've gone through the pain of doing that, actually, you can really get statistics on companies claiming furlough quite, quite readily then. 
Mm, brilliant. And I think we've we produced a heat map, haven't we? So again, we'll we'll um we'll That's make right. that available um as part of the of the podcast as well to for people to have a look at in a, in the de- a bit more detail at the data. Yeah. Um and Nick, I you're two, I had you're two, gonna, <laughs> two <laughs> I'm just points. about to say time is time is not on our side, but go I on, know, I'll be really quick. Go Joe, on. I promise I'll be really quick. <laughs> Going back to the ONS fortnightly uh coronavirus impact survey, um, it's quite interesting that the number of businesses that have closed for good had climbed in two weeks from 3.3% to 3.9%. So, you know, it doesn't sound very much, but if you if you extrapolate that across the whole economy, it could be a lot of businesses. Um, and uh, it, I guess it suggests that reality as the cliff, you know, as the uh, cash flow cliff edge is, is nearing, um, is beginning to... F- make people take serious decisions. The other very final, final, final point was about international trading in this survey. Oh, yes. And they reported that um, more companies um, are experiencing challenges with importing than exporting. Not really terribly surprised about that. But the thing that caught my eye was that 50% of the respondents were experiencing one or both as challenges. Wow. Half of all businesses are having challenges either importing or exporting or both. So, you know, what was that about frictionless yeah. trade? Yeah, I mean, I think that's again, these are these are all interesting figures to keep and looking at trends as well, yeah. isn't it? And, and, and of course, it's not, it's not it's not just, you know, that's not a dig at Brexit and Brexiteers at all. It it reflects also what the pandemic has done to supply chains. Undoubtedly, yeah, on the import side, it, yeah. you know, there, there is there is serious supply chain disruption going on for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. It's my, actually, that, that might be worth um, having a link to that that quite nice and thoughtful FT article um, that we were looking at the, the ketchup bottle um, supply yes. chain um, analogy, which I which I quite liked. This idea that okay, it might be things are clogged up now, but actually. You know there is a there is a, a way, you know, not necessarily inevitably, but there is a way that, that that actually once this is released, you know, there will be a flood of of um of supply yes, coming and, on. And we all know what happens when you lose control of the <laughs> ketchup bottle, don't we? <laughs> indeed, <laughs> indeed. On that note, um, I'm going to say thank you very, very much to Nick and um, to Adam. We're always guaranteed quite a nice lively debate when um, when both of you are here. Um, so thanks, thanks very much indeed for joining me. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. We will be back in two weeks' time. Um, and until then, goodbye.